uh, through Lent, we've been learning about prayer, and we've been um, plagiarizing Jesus' teaching about prayer, how we pray, um, that we would get it on our lips, get our heads around it, but also get it deep into our hearts. In some ways, when things are so familiar, we miss the majesty because we can go by rote on it. The Lord's Prayer, which is the Lord's Prayer for us to pray, is not a magic incantation. It's a majestic invitation to have a posture and a way of being in the world, a way to communicate to the Father who loves us because of Jesus. So it starts out with our Father who art in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven. In it, we establish our prayers in an intimacy of his fatherhood and our identity as adopted children. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our first ask of God is about making his name great in the world. Last week we did your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those next two prayers are about how, um, how it works, how his name becomes great. So we pray for his gracious reign to come and for his will, both in us and in the world, to be done, just like it happens in heaven. And our third section, which is several other prayers, uh, prayers, is give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is important because the last three petitions of the Lord's Prayer are simply a way of living out how His kingdom comes and how His will, be, will is done in us in our daily lives. I've preached three sermons on these three petitions, these three prayers before, but I wanted to stick them together because um, these are the material and spiritual conditions by which the first part of the prayer happen. It's the way of enacting his kingdom to come and to follow his will. So, of course, because I'm a Presbyterian minister, I have three points. Provision, pardon, and protection. Or if you don't want P's and you want F's, it's food, forgiveness, and freedom. I couldn't decide which one, so I just gave you both. Provision or food or fuel. We're praying for God to meet our daily needs. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 104, of which all your elders and deacons subscribe, says that we pray that we would receive a competent portion of the good things of this life and enjoy his blessing with them. It's good. We, we pray for God's ongoing 
care to sustain our lives with his gracious supply to us. The daily bread language is an allusion to Israel's 40 years as they um, wandered in the desert after they were liberated from slavery. Each day, God would rain down this stuff called manna, a bready kind of protein substance for them to eat. What is manna? Well, manna actually just means, what is it? It was his sustaining power daily. Just a day's worth. On Friday, they'd get two portions, so they didn't have to gather on, Sunday, or on Saturday, on Sabbath. But it was every day for 40 years, again, again, and again. Give us this day our daily bread is not a prayer for a fat savings account. It's, it's, a, it's a prayer that you'd have sufficient funds in your checking account. That's what it is. It wasn't a prayer for a full life of stuff, but a well-lived life today. Think about this. Before pardon and protection, before forgiveness and freedom, the, the question is for, the, the ask is for provision. Every single earthling on this world has an eternal, practical, and fundamental relationship with God. And that is as creator, sustainer, and provider. That's where we start. We owe our very existence to his kindness, to his grace. Every breath, every step, every material good, every moment of our lives is defined by reliance upon his kindness. This prayer just recognizes the reality of it, which is so easily forgotten. I mean, people think it's trite to say grace after a meal. It's not trite. It's the most revolutionary thing we can do. To acknowledge this ain't because this ain't of us, and there are others who can't do this right now, that we orient towards him as provider and our neighbors the same, as, as just like us. Give us this day, our daily bread is similar to Jesus' teaching, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. It's living in the present, as some pop psychology talks about now, but it's dadgum right. It is a life of true perspective. It's a prayer and posture of humility and gratitude, acknowledging that anything we have, he has given to us. It's all his in the end. Even amid our labor and toil. The good labor and toil we do all day, you still can't make it rain. You still can't make the seed sprout. We're reliant upon God for his provision, which he is glad to give and does so often. I tell you, you can argue about like, 
economics, wealth distribution, till you're blue in the face. But until you start here, that every human and every living and non-living, uh, every living thing on the earth is sustained by God's gracious kindness to the world, there's nowhere else to start. Everything else is starting off in a wrong way. We realize that scarcity is not actually about God's kindness to the world. It's actually about our greediness and foolishness and whatever. But it is so liberating to embrace. This posture of dependence, to pray from a place of actual need, to believe that He's our provider, and then to cherish it, that's a game changer. So there's nothing wrong when the seven-year-old David prays, Dear God, I need a raise in my allowance. Could you have one of your angels tell my dad? He's just working it out. Or Lois, nine, says, Dear God, please help me in school. I need help in spelling, adding, history, geography, and writing. I got everything else. Thanks. She may not know that she needs, she's already gotten the help for everything else. The petition for our daily bread is an admission that if God took his eye off this universe for a millisecond, our worlds, the world, would come crashing down. It's about provision and asking for it but it's also about recognition. He who is able and loves to supply our needs. God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. But we have to realize that Jesus is the one who's talking about this stuff, and Jesus messes with the image of bread a lot. And Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, adults. Yeah, kids, you gotta, you gotta watch those adults. They're, help, they're out showing you right now, okay. Jesus messes with the bread image in his life. He says things like, you don't live by it alone. He, Jesus, claims to be the bread of life. Jesus, man, I'm gonna do this every week. We're getting palms every week, y'all. This is great. Adults won't sleep. It's wonderful. Um, He claims that he's the true manna, that what is it that comes from heaven. When you study commentaries about this passage, there are two errors that, that happen too much, and that is one, that it makes it utterly physical or utterly spiritual and doesn't do the combination. But give us our daily bread is, as I said a couple weeks ago, is thicker than goulash. He messes with the metaphor to mingle the deep spiritual truths of what it means to be nourished by God in body and soul. One writer puts it this way, and I love it. Nourishment is necessary for life, but what lasts forever is taste. We are given appetites. Not to consume the world and forget it, but to taste God's goodness. 
and hunger to help the world embrace the Father's love? Jesus. Which brings us from provision to pardon, from fuel or food to forgiveness. We start with asking uh, the Father to provide what we most need physically, and then when Jesus shows up, it turns a little bit, and we pivot to asking the Father to provide what we most need spiritually. Pardon and forgiveness. This kingdom, which we are praying to come, is made up of a new people, a citizenry created in and because of Jesus. It is a radical regime change to the world because it is founded on forgiveness. It is a plutocracy of pardon. I had to make sure plutocracy was the right word, but I needed a P for pardon, so that's what I did. Our entrance into this vast and beautiful citizenry is established in mercy. And it's God's original and ultimate forgiveness of us. Then it is our forgiveness of others. And third, it's his sustaining forgiveness of us right back at us. I don't know if you've attended these words. I know you've said them a lot, but I don't know if you've attended these words and this phrase before, forgive us our debts or trespasses our sins, depending on your church tradition. I love it when it gets all mixed up in the middle of it. I think it's awesome. But it continues. As we forgive our debtors or those who have sinned or trespassed against us. The first part, debtor, sins, trespasses, is a translation question. The second part is what your seventh grade grammar teacher would call a conditional clause. So let's talk about those those things. The Greek word is debts, not really a question. The reason some translators do trespasses or sins is because um, this debt is a debt we owe to God for our rebellion. Forgive the debt of our disobedience. To you, our, our Father, you are a provider, and we have off-squandered the gifts of your provision. Please forgive our debt of disobedience, which is why people say forgiveness or trespasses or sins as well. Now, this is not talking about ultimate forgiveness or the original pardon we receive when we repent of our sin and are embraced fully into the kingdom of God and then therefore can call God our Father. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about a daily forgiveness, very similar to our daily bread. The the need we have regularly when we fall or falter. We already address him as father. Jesus has paid our original debt and our ultimate debt. He's covered our rebellion and mercy. He has transformed us from enemies to the very children of God, friends of Jesus. But Jesus is talking, thank you, gosh, you're better than I was thinking. Jesus is talking about the daily recognition of our not living up to the family name. When we fail and we falter and we flee from our Father's goodness, the Son's tender guidance and the Spirit's empowering grace, we owe a debt because of our sin. He paid it. But He's done much more than pay it. 
He's given us all we need. And now we are debtors to that. Not to earn God's love. That's already off the table. But because of his love and kindness and mercy. So we're indebted to his grace. And so the next step is to be gracious to others. That's the second point. In the kingdom of God, in this economy of the citizenry of grace and pardon, it's not just, it's not just vertical, it's horizontal. Not just to God, which it is, and ultimately and fully, but it's also to our neighbors. And so there's this haunting and yet beautiful conditional clause, which the translation at your bulletin is right. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The forgiving of others precedes the daily operational forgiveness of God. Say that again. The forgiveness, the forgiving of others precedes the daily operational forgiveness from God. Precisely because He has ultimately and totally forgiven us. Again, not in the ultimate sense, but in a real-time lived experience. And here's what this prayer is doing, just, just so you know, so you're not going like, oh, it's conditional in some ultimate sense. When you pray for your own forgiveness of your daily rebellions, of your, of your mistakes and your folly, Jesus is asking us for a posture check. Thank you. To take into account all the people who have sinned against us are indebted to us because the real sin, the real brokenness, the real um, uh, trespasses against us. All to see how much we believe this economy of Jesus, this economy of pardon. If you read it harshly, you could read it like this. Don't come groveling to me about your folly and sin when you won't extend the same mercy to somebody else who hurt you. In a more beautiful and more accurate reading, it's something like this. I redeemed you. I've welcomed you in pardon and forgiveness. And all those around you, I treat you with pardon and forgiveness. This is my kingdom. I long to pardon and forgive you daily. Never forget that world. It's not just about your need for forgiveness and pardon, which is already fully done, but it's about this whole kingdom that I'm bringing to bear. This is my will to be done. So I want you to pray for forgiveness in light of your willingness to forgive, to make sure you understand the economy of the kingdom I'm bringing. Don't ask for pardon without having extended to another person. It doesn't make sense in my world, the world that I've adopted you into. You have my pardon. So now pardoned, pardon. And when you do, I will know you got it. You got the whole thing now. And if you can't, then we have some work to do. You got to go back to the first step. Don't piddle around with your debts as if I were stingy about giving pardon away. And that was like a stingy ethic in the community of God's people. Receive my abundance of pardon first and then 
you'll be free to pardon others who truly do you wrong. Really forgive them. And then come back and talk about the piddly stuff you're worried about. Then you'll know. Then that, that mojo of the kingdom will live out fully as I intended, on earth as it is in heaven. It'll make your head hurt thinking about that. Let it hurt. This is good and important stuff. It is the way of Jesus. Full of forgiveness, plentiful in pardon. Look, when, I'm, when I do premarital counseling, <clears throat> we talk about all the things, compatibility, desire, tension points, future, all that stuff. But the thing I try to say every time is this. This ain't lasting unless you understand forgiveness. Because there's no way you're making through this thing without hurting each other deeply and learning forgiveness. That's all you got. There's the third petition, and it's important. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's a preemptive strike on the need for forgiveness. <laughs> Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. I don't know if there's a more humble prayer in the Bible. Protect us from our own worst inclinations. Free us from the bondage of sin. Keep us from, from, from evil that would come in our direction. Help us, Lord. We can't do these other things unless you do this too. This admits two things, that we are prone to wander and that we need liberation from evil. We are prone to wander. Again, I'm not sure if there's a more humble prayer than this. Dear God, please, you know I am. We are weak. You know how much my heart wanders. You know I can barely resist instant gratification that my will would be done the way I think about it should happen. You know that my, my trust in you is real and thorough, but also faltering. You know I want what you want, but you know I also want what I want. And my wanter is often misshaped. So help me. Please take away my options. Lead me not into temptation. Take away my temptations. Lead me towards paths of righteousness, even when I don't know which way is which. Protect me from that. I can't trust myself, so do not lead me astray. Lead me in the ways that I can't even see myself. What an amazing prayer. I don't know how to apply this completely other than to pray it and see if your heart follows. Even if you don't see how it works out, it's probably working out. He's probably leading you away from temptation. Repeat it until it's in your bones and your heart and it envelops your life. We are too weak not to pray this prayer. Lead us not into temptation. And yet this coordinate or this now a coordinate and independent clause that couples us is but deliver us from evil. 
which is another humble way of saying we need your protection, not just from ourselves, but the evil in the world. That's what we need. Most scholars believe that it should probably be translated something like the evil or the evil one, just the way the language works and works earlier in the book. But either way, evil, the evil, or the evil one, they're all very similar in Jesus' day, than, much more similar than we think about it now. Because here's the deal, the Bible has a cosmology, a way of seeing the universe. And it's pretty binary. There is a reign of the kingdom of sin and death. Head to Romans if you're wondering where I'm getting this from. And there is a reign of the kingdom of grace and truth led by Jesus. They are mortal enemies. And one would die to make the reign of grace and truth live. All humans after the fall are under the reign of sin and death. But Jesus invaded this reign of sin and death, this evil, evil one, the evil, with grace and truth. And he, because not of his justice, death, as we enter into this week, but his resurrection, which comes Sunday, he has victory over it all. And yet we live in this interim, the conflict, the already and the not yet. And so Jesus asks us to come before the, his Father against the protection of evil or the evil or the evil one to liberate us from the bonds of sin, the bonds of the reign of sin and death in the world. This is cosmological language, but it's deeply practical. We are praying that in our daily lives, that the reign of evil would stop. That's what we're doing, both in us and in the world. We get charismatic on this one. We're praying for deliverance, for deliverance from the reign of evil, for freedom, liberation, protection, both our worst inclinations and evil's worst infiltrations of the world. We admit in it that we are powerless, that our lives are unmanageable without divine intervention, protection, and liberation. We are only free if Jesus makes us free. Which brings us to the end. We are free because Jesus makes us free. Just like last week, we pray this prayer backwards, starting with, in the name of Jesus. He teaches us to pray like this. And he knew better than anyone the pull of temptation and rage and evil. But he did not sin. Jesus did not sin. He abided in this prayer as a man, but fulfilled this prayer as the son of the living God. Look, y'all, it's Palm Sunday. The next six days, two billion people on this planet will be marking the last days of Jesus. This week, I'm asking you, Every time you think of it, I'm begging you, just pray the Lord's Prayer. You might have to breathe beforehand and settle your feet to be fully present in it. Just pray the Lord's Prayer for our daily bread, to be able to pardon as we've been pardoned, 
to ask for protection and freedom from evil? Palm Sunday, six years ago, and again, eight years before, eight, two years before that, so eight years ago, utter tragedy hit North Africa. The Libyan martyrs, 21, trying to be careful about language, um, severed. Six years ago, in Alexandria, the Copts, which are the Coptic Christians of Egypt, um, another tragi- tragedy happened with a vest. I think it was 21 and 120 injured. Amr Adib is a famous, prominent, basically talk show host in Egypt. And he let, after hearing the testimony of one of the Coptic Christians, let 12 seconds of silence happen on TV because he couldn't muster a response. He broke that silence with the cops, Coptic Christians, are made of steel. Moments earlier that created that 12 seconds, he was doing one of those like remote interviews in Alexandria, actually, to speak with the widow of Nassim Fahim, who was the guard at St. Mark's Cathedral that received the explosion. Palm Sunday, 2017, when he realized that this person, this bomber, was coming, he redirected them toward the side and detonated on himself to save the people inside, as many as he could. He and the terrorists were first to die. I think it was 40. I know it was over 100 injured. He saved hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of lives. His wife was giving the interview with her children beside her. And she said, I am not angry. I want this man and his family to know, may God forgive you. And I forgive you. Believe me, we forgive you. You put my husband in a place that was awful. We live in a world that hates us and wants us to die. But we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why 12 seconds of silence happened on Egyptian TV. He exclaimed after, you cops are made of steel, how great is the forgiveness you have And his voice cracked and he said, if this was my father, if this was my sibling, if this was my spouse, I could never say these words, but this is their faith, he said. Millions marveled with him across the airways of Egypt. Because Christians in North Africa understand the Lord's prayer. They know 
they want the evil to stop. They know they need the provision for their daily lives. And they know they must pardon as they've been pardoned. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Amen.